Butte Town Women. Margaret Cox, Doris Joseph, Vera Johnson and Alwyn Watkins talked to Joanna Bornat about their memories of care and support in Cardiff's Butte Town in the 1930s. Nobody went in hospital for a start. You know, when I say, like they do now, they go in hospital for pneumonia and different things, but people kept them home for births and all. They always stayed home. They never went in hospital for births. It was always somebody to do. If your family wasn't able, it was neighbours. If they didn't see you for a day or two, or the next morning, if there's something wrong, they go in your house, which your house wouldn't be locked up, be able to go in. Found anybody else, somebody tend for the doctor, somebody go and take them something in. I know that um, when I've had problems, there has always been somebody at my door almost immediately with offers of help. And it's just that kind of a place. And I think why people are being found dead these days is because the nature now of the architecture of the place, it's a council estate, it's impersonal, it's blocks of flats, it's masonettes. In the old days, you, even though I lived in Loudoun Square, I could tell you number by number who lived in Sophia Street, which was several streets away. But now you just see people going into a tall building, you don't know what floor they're on, you don't know what number... And so, you know, you you don't know if anybody's ill. In the old days when we had the terraced houses, if somebody was ill, they could knock the window and pass in child to do an errand or run for the doctor or whatever. But those days have gone by the board. That way of life's been destroyed by the building of this cruel and brutal environment. And I think uh, the kind of community that this is, and the culture which evolved in it, was based on that extended family. Well, I had an auntie, my auntie Nan. She was always present at births, deaths, and not marriages. There wasn't many marriages those days. <laughs> but um, she was called out all hours for people dying, or, and she would lay them out, and then she'd send for the undertaker, and... Different things like that, she would undertake that. They'd come knocking her in the night, somebody was going to be confined. She would do all that. She never had any training. Well, she had a family, but she was that type of woman. She was always there when somebody needed her. They say for births, deaths, any hour of the night, they'd just knock her up. Did she get any little kind of presents from Oh, people? I used to give them a couple of bob. She used to do it for a couple of bob. I didn't say she did. But if the people didn't have it, they couldn't give it. There was an old couple living in a house opposite us and they were both old, very old, Mr and Mrs Skipper. And she came over to my mother, my auntie and aunt did, on a Sunday evening and she said to my mother, poor old Ted Skipper's just gone. And I said, oh, pity that he's getting on. So in the morning she came, she said, oh, we, we haven't said anything. So on Monday morning she came over, and came into my mother's, because she always come into my mother's, she said, oh, Beth, did I tell you? She said, poor old Ted Skipper died this morning. My mother said, you told me that last night, down Nan. So she said, oh, did I? Well, I shouldn't have. She said, because we were keeping it quiet, because he, they were living in rooms by opposite, <laughs> and his pension was due on Monday morning. <laughs> he had, uh, and it was only seven and six or ten shillings, you know. And the woman in the house didn't even know he was dead, kept the fire and all on. But that, that's tragic, really, yeah. for, for the sake of getting his pension. How much pension? Seven or six yeah. or something. Yeah. I think everybody 
knew everybody's business. Not that everybody was nosy, but it was that kind of a place. And so by knowing everybody's business, you knew when they needed help. And help was always forthcoming. And I was in service in London, my mother's a widow. When I'd come home, uh, what do you call them? They didn't call them the... Parish. What we call it now? What did they call it when they'd have money every week? Parish. parish. The parish. So I took her up Adamstown to see about it, and it were him and Harry and what they'd given. They said, come back again the next day, so we went back again with my mother. So they were talking one to the other, and one of them said, um, how much do you son-in-law leave your daughter? My husband was a seaman. That's the means. I said, don't you ask my mother that question? You ask me, not my mother. And as if my husband could have left me more than what he could, I wouldn't come here and ask you for nothing for my mother. Because them days, wasn't it? Uh, uh, we had what my pounds. husband was like on the ship, he could only leave me five pound a month. Mm. As four if I had the money, sometimes. I said I'd keep her. Well, we went back again to him and Armin. Well, they said we'll have to deport her. Excuse me, what did you say? I swear you're going to deport her to. I said she only lives at the valleys. She only lived an hour's way from Cardiff. And, you know, they didn't send her back. But they used to come down every so often to see how things were. I think they were afraid that perhaps, you know, it was like the workhouse and there was a lot of pride around you. As you often find in poverty-stricken places, people are very proud there's that feeling of we can manage and um, and they did I mean a lot of people died at home from things like TB and probably cancer although it wasn't talked of a lot and there were a lot of people who had skills who could lay out the dead who could be the midwives and things like that you know and you just knew what street they lived in and you were sent there and you know People were known to be able to care, not in a professional way, but perhaps better than the amateur then, you know, better than um, people who were very close to the sick person who couldn't do it for that reason. You know, there was always somebody else who could. Yes, yeah. I had an uncle. We used to call him Dada, Dada Williams, my mother's brother. And every child in the street, he's an old bachelor, he was, if they had a splinter... Or about, oh, let's go down to Daddy with Daddy Willie, he'll take it out. And he used to, they used to have an abscess or a boil. And he used to take soap and garlic and crush it all mm. together and stick it on. Anything wrong with them, they go down to see Daddy Willie. Yeah. And I mean, he didn't have any, uh, <laughs> any teaching yeah. of doctrine. People used to have old remedies. They used yeah. to, when they used, if they had a goose for Christmas, they'd keep the grease, you know, oh, you the and they'd rub your, the chest with the, you know, with the grease. They used to call it goose grease. Sometimes people complain that they get names called after them and things like that, and you don't remember anything. The normal like kids had names called after. When we went out to the district, my gosh, we used to get called everything. Yeah. We used to go to cookery up um, St David's School. And St Andrew's Crescent. We used to carry our life in our hands when we were going over the Black Bridge because there wasn't many of us, only about six of us coloured. If there were six, and we have to run the gonglet between the whole crew going to school, here they come, the blackies, and <laughs> down the docks. 
get back down, down Tiger Bay. So, um, I mean, mm. we uh, stuck together, and that's most one of the reasons, I suppose, we uh, we kind of shared our troubles with everybody. Because there weren't too many places you could go with impunity. You, you know, there was always somebody to say, "Get back where you came from, nigger or darky or blacky or monkey or whatever." There wasn't anywhere really that um, you could go without somebody picking on you. And it was usually, number one, because you were black and you were reasonably recognisable, and number two, because if you were black, you had to be from Tiger Bay, and that was the second thing they didn't like you for, because we were all supposed to be up, you know, wild and woolly down here. Woolly, we might have been, but, you know, we were very sheltered. We were taught our manners, and we were picked up if, you know, you didn't say the right things at the right time, excuse me and sorry and and that, pardon me, all of that. And um, we were very sheltered, really, because everybody knew everybody. So there there wasn't much you could get up to without somebody seeing you and reporting you, was there? You know, it was... And every female in the street was your auntie and every man was your uncle anyway, so... You know, you oh, God, there's Uncle so and so you know. And even when I was given permission to wear lipstick, I used to hide my face when I'd be walking past Auntie Rosie's house. <laughs> you know. Good evening, Auntie Rosie, you know, like that. <laughs> it's hard to keep a secret now. You've got to be really, really clever to keep a secret. And I think the very nature of how we are and how we've been brought up, it's hard to keep a secret. And in a lot of cases, you wouldn't want to. Well, say there's no need, really, no. for it, the way we were brought up living. I mean, people knew who you were and what you were we and where you came from. You. So it's no good trying to be different. <laughs> from the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.